0: You are listening to Tate Podcast, The Art of Persona, with me, Sandra Jean-Pierre. This is a series exploring the human stories behind art. The Art of... So we're ringing, but it's a bit locked. I think this is broken, open actually. (laughs)
1: You know, Andy was just Andy. He was one of a kind. Persona
0: can be defined as the aspect of someone's character that is presented to or perceived by others.
1: Uh, I mean, with the press, he always just gave these very cryptic, deliberately misleading answers. In one article, he said he was born in Newport, Rhode Island, and in another, it was Philadelphia, and a third, it was McKeesport, Pennsylvania. He never said Pittsburgh, where he was really born.
0: This is Bob Colacciello. He was a colleague and good friend of Andy Warhol. Warhol was the leading figure of pop art, but also a filmmaker, producer, magazine, and art illustrator. He reimagined what being an artist and a star could
1: be. I think he understood that mystery keeps the press coming back. So the more you throw them off the track, the better it is in a way.
0: For many, Warhol's public persona was indistinguishable from his art. Even the people close to him could not define him.
1: He was very endearing, but it was also calculated to I mean, it was hard to know. I am an audio producer and researcher. I run the
0: project Mahasa, which explores how sound and radio can be mediums to build new ways of listening. As someone that I had to use my voice to introduce ideas, I have always been intrigued by persona.
1: I know that Andy was factually and biographically Andy was an outsider.
0: I was recently sitting outside a coffee shop watching people go by and I noticed so many different ways of performing little daily acts. I want to learn about what persona means for artists today, how it can be used in different ways, how celebratory, therapeutic, protective and all the things in between.
2: I have done a couple of interviews where it's been a joke between myself and the collaborator where I'll just sit there and not say anything. You know, thinking like, oh, should we just do this today? You know, it'll be fun. <laughs>
3: I've emulated Venus and Serena Williams in the best way I can. I guess. <laughs> Who even am I? What is my authentic
4: self? <laughs> um, I don't know.
0: This is the art of persona. Hi, hello. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. The first artist I met was Lewis J. Burton. Lewis is a London-based DJ, performer, and activist. They co-founded the LGBTQ plus performance art platform and techno rave Inferno, which gives space to their community to express themselves and be mentored. They do not describe themselves as a drag artist, but drag is just one part of their practice
2: you want a peppermint tea or a green tea?
0: Peppermint would be
2: great. So for me, you have to look back at the history of drag and what is drag. And drag in its quintessential essence is performativity. Mm-hmm. It, I think recently it's been confused a lot with thinking of men dressing as women. Being drag is anything. So you can be in drag wearing your suit for your first job interview for a new job and you're in drag because you're... Presenting a version of yourself that you want other people to see, or you can be in drag when you're at a, your friend's wedding and you're wearing a like like luxurious like evening gown or something, and you're you're performing your class and you're performing your your style and your your identity to other people. Servant of fame, queer messiah, divine almighty, celestial being. I think with drag um, there can be this idea of playing a character and I mean certainly people can be in drag playing a character but we're all dragging up to a certain extent to show a version of ourselves or a version of what other people want to see from you to fit a certain role within society I look back it, my history as a queer person a lot of that is from drag culture and I take inspiration from that but also drag allows me a safe space to perform my, the heightened version of my femininity mm. and because drag is so accessible now to the mainstream they, they see that and you know, people want to put you in a box as a drag queen but actually I'm just a queer person who knows my history and is paying I homage see. to that Yeah, I just,
0: that makes
2: sense mm.
3: So I guess I'm interested particularly in characters that make up what we think of as black culture or British culture. Um, I'm interested in how these, these particular characters come to be examples or symbols of particular identities.
0: Rosa, Joanne, Udo has participated in Marissa, the project I run. I thought she would be great to talk to because she's an interdisciplinary artist whose practice is all about unpacking different versions of herself. I visited her studio in Poplar.
3: I guess fundamentally I'm interested in how we emulate certain figures that are in popular media. So people like Moira Stewart or Serena and Venus Williams, uh, Meghan Markle. Hercule Poirot. All of these are figures that are perhaps in some ways presented as role models for people who are black or British and also what people who are not black or British think of when they think of foreigners or people from the colonies or stuff like that. So um, I'm quite interested in, in using performance to unpack these characters. The serve, aligning the feet... On the 9th of July 2016, my little sister's birthday, Serena Williams won the Wimbledon final, gaining her 22nd Grand Slam title. The semi-final has seen a showdown between Serena... I think performance is a very physical act, so sometimes there's things that you can... You can reach, like, a better understanding of things through embodying a person, and there are things that your body will realise through, like, you mimicking that person or trying to you know walk behind that person that you're you you would not have been able to get to just through thinking. Holding the ball fingers in formation. Being a person who's black and a performance artist is so interesting because the sphere of performance is actually it's actually a place where we do have like you know compared to other fields we do actually have quite a lot of Quote unquote role models. So, all of the characters that I'm looking at, I, I, I do consider performers, uh, whether they be kind of, you know, su- very subtly performing or more overtly performing. I do like a lot of work, you know, kind of based off Diana Ross and the Supremes. So, that's like one very recognizable type of performance, which is musical, but also thinking about Venus and Serena as sports performers, because that is a sphere that black people have historically been allowed to excel in. Now, when you come at that with performance art, using performance art as a kind of critical tool to unpack exactly what was going on there, unpack the power relations, and see what I can now kind of rescue for myself.
5: My name's JK. I'm one half of Scary Things.
6: My name's DJ Bampa. Um, Other half of Scary Things. DJ for NTS Radio 6 7 Drill Group.
0: While working as a radio producer at NCS Radio, I came across Keritane. It's a one-stop shop that you can go to to find out everything that is going on in the underground and mainstream UK and American rap scenes. I met with them to learn more about personas in the UK drill scene. I wanted to know if younger rappers were emulating older rappers' personas when they started their careers, and if once they got more experience, they could just be themselves.
5: That just comes down to um, the lack of scene that we have, because it's it's because the only things that the younger ones can actually look up to is the past five years I'll probably say, because that's when money properly started getting made in the scene. So it's like they're gonna have to emulate the way those guys done it.
6: Because like this is actually the first time we're actually seeing any of this happen in. You know what I'm saying. In, Forever. You, in in the UK scene there was never a UK scene anyway for like uh, the urban scene like there was so solid crew and Dizzy Rascal and a couple guys
0: what is scary thing scary things we have to come
5: to because you never know what's going to happen in scary things you know change is scary
0: we are the change so
5: you know <laughs> stick with us <laughs> okay we we'll take you through we we'll take you through
0: have you been shocked in the past by the difference between the persona of an artist on stage and like through video clip and when you actually meet him?
5: Oh yeah definitely and that's kind of where scary things started because it's it's just like that like where you see a guy's music and you see him with a mask and he's talking this and talking that or the media might represent him as and it's like you actually meet him and it's like oh I thought he was a scary guy but exactly so yeah we always we always see the differences we always see people come in and you're not the type of person you are you might you might be some boisterous character and you're really quiet on the mic hey there are you 16 to 25 want five pound tickets to tate exhibitions
3: free events creative opportunities and special discounts join tate collective
4: Part of the backdrop, I guess, of the show is a childhood duvet cover, which is kind of like a knockoff groovy chick duvet cover that's quite recognisable if you grew up in the 90s.
3: Lauren! Lauren! Lauren, how you!
4: And um then hung next to that is a, a dress which is um my old prom dress from when I was 16 and then an image projected on an overhead projector onto the dress, which is a picture of uh, my face when I was a teenager. And I look really different to to how I look now. It was part of me sort of trying to reconnect with... ..with an old version of myself, almost like a, a ghost of me. That picture sums up the estate in the 90s.
0: That is what every girl looked like. <laughs> Holly Beasley Garrigan is a performance maker, performer, and movement director with a background crossing theatre, dance, music, and live art.
4: Yeah, it's just um, yeah, just a, a bit of me that, that I sort of tried to forget about.
0: Last year, I went to see her show Opal Fruits. During a full hour, she's alone on stage. Opal fruit is about working-class women and the trouble with 90s nostalgia. Uh,
4: Reebok classics. Re- yes, Reebok classics. It
0: weaves, weaves stories from know, four generations know, of women market. growing up on the same council estate in yeah, South, you South get London.
3: It from? Gold, that's where you get it from. What time was a it? 3210. Right. What we look at listening to? Garage. Garage
4: so I sort of approached it initially with a sort of layer of removal I think and I just sort of thought that I'd wear some stupid outfits and like play some silly music and reminisce about the 90s and and this council estate where I grew up and it would be it wouldn't particularly be that personal I think because at the the time I was quite removed from from it as a person I feel like I'd I'd suppressed that part of my identity so much at the time and then through making it it became super 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 personal
0: so I'm wondering if sometimes you adopt a different persona when you're on stage or do you just like allow all your vulnerabilities to show I think it's
4: it's impossible to be your authentic self on stage okay it's it's this weird thing, I think, being a performer, isn't it, where you, it's, you're sort of going round and round in circles. Of, I can only ever be me, that's all, all I can ever be, but this version of me is, is a kind of performed version of me. I'm quite interested in this idea of playing, playing yourself on stage and finding those different versions of yourself. I enjoy that. It's fun for me. It's kind of a bit mischievous.
0: <laughs> a similar question applies to rappers in the music scene. What is the personal and what is the performed? How do you know when to stop
6: blurring the lines? The whole drill persona that everyone puts on anyway, mm. it's like not everyone does live that horrid, horrid, gritty life that, that the pain and rappers rap about. Like some will say, "Raw, oh, yeah, I, I slept the cold nights <laughs> on the kitchen floor and but they really wasn't wasn't sleeping in those cold nights in the mm. kitchen. Yeah, floor. of course. Cause like you, but you have to say that, cause, so everyone feels like, oh yeah. So the man that slept on the kitchen floor feels like he feels my pain. Mm, mm, I mm, get mm, it. Like mm. I I I feel like we, he's relatable. Mm. Um, so so people put on all types of personas. That's what helps a lot of guys when they put a mask on, because you can be whoever you want to be.
5: You <gasps> can be you can be, be, be the biggest killer. You can be the yeah, biggest lady man. You can be the biggest pusher man. You could be, you could be anything. anything. Anything.
6: Anything. If it's one of those ones where you get found out because you didn't live that life, then obviously, like, no one's going to... People aren't going to like that because feel, you'll feel lied to at the end of the day because don't talk like you, you've lived my pain and you, and you haven't lived my pain. Real life experiences, bro. This isn't pop where there's like four or five writers on your track. I need to see your name... And no one else mm-hmm. <laughs> like mm-hmm. like I need to know that right yeah you wrote this and like come you can't go to a party and spit someone else's rhymes it's true what's that
5: it's Ooh, true what? Is that even the first rap song ever made <laughs> first rap song that was actually commercially successful that's one of the lines in there you don't ever let another rapper steal your rhymes no way you know what I'm saying so it's like the mask the mask kind of excludes you from having to own up to any of said yeah. things you're rapping
2: when I moved to London, I came here and I was dressing very extremely, wearing over-the-top makeup and big outfits and huge platforms. And, you know, jump, I jumped in the deep end of, like, being able to explore what my queerness should be like. But also at the same time, because I'd not really dealt with those feelings of shame and guilt and these traumas that come with repressing yourself for so long and really not learning to like the person that I was. It was a a journey of me experimenting with my identity and performing almost as a way of self-therapy to kind of come to terms with who I was and really learn to like the person I was and now love the person that I am so I spent a lot of my early practice like being extra ugly because this is how I felt on the inside it was me being like this is how you're making me feel so I'm going to show you how you make me feel and it was a really good exercise for me to like learn to see real beauty within that ugliness. I'm from an old um mining village on the outskirts of Newcastle. It's very working class there and very you know traditional in the you know, and almost a bit conservative in their values when it comes to gender norms. So so it was very difficult for me. I would only go home for a very short burst of time. And there was a very clear separation between my old self and the person that the people around me and my loved ones, my family, my friends expected from me, and actually the person that I am, but now it you know i'm I'm older now I've had very nice chats in my family, and I can dress the way I want to dress, and I still obviously tone it down a tiny bit but not not that much that it's hurting or affecting me. I get it still being myself. I can still wear some fabulous dresses. It was really nice actually last year. I had a gig in Newcastle for the first time and my mum got to see me in my all of my regalia and she told me I looked beautiful and it was a very nice moment for me.
0: It seems like they have found therapeutic benefits to playing with their personers through performance. Could it be a path to self-discovery?
3: I guess I'm just interested in all of these characters as and how they have an effect on self formation and for me i get i guess almost as a kind of therapy to to understand why i see myself in a certain way why i have taken certain paths through putting myself literally in their shoes i guess trying to learn from them but also trying to I guess undo this very, like, immediate, kind of visceral pull that I feel to identify with them. Because I feel like that's, like, so automatic. It's, like, almost like, you know, an infatuation with certain... Mm. Yes. People who represent you, especially if, like as a black woman, it's quite rare that you'll find someone who you really identify with in the public eye. Yes. So when you do, it's often kind of like almost like a love relationship.
0: Specifically when it's like a BBC News, the TV, and you see that speaker every single day exactly. at the same
3: time. <laughs> exactly, <Yeah. laughs> exactly.
0: Working towards self-esteem is essential. Even more when the way we present ourselves to the world can differ from how we are perceived by others. Because of class, race, or gender,
4: higher education was really, really difficult actually um drama school particularly, I think I was pretty much the only person in my class who hadn't been to private school, and I changed my accent while I was there um just through you know going to voice classes and being told to speak a certain way and where to put your where to place your tongue in your mouth and what sounds are good and what sounds are bad. But, you know, it was, it was really difficult to be... ..to be different in that environment and to not not really have anyone else around who really understood what that was like. And I think that changed me quite a lot, that I'm still just, just now, really, sort of trying to
3: reconcile with, I think.
1: I cannot eat these eggs. They are of totally different sizes.
3: Poirot might be like a strange uh, a strange character to include in the lineup of- ca- other characters that i that I look at but um for me he's very important because he's um one of the first representations of an outsider on t v that I saw um you know he's he's a he's a refugee he everyone kind of like is very xenophobic towards him um he kind of dabbles in like respectability politics. He wants to be liked. He wants to obey like the very British upper class conventions of the of the aristocracy that he hangs out with. And he's also like hugely popular, you know. So I made that work because I was interested in him as a representation of a Foreigner, but also in a way as a token. And someone who I feel you can see is um Suffering a little bit, or it's a tension within their personality as a result of their tokenization. You know, they're the only the only person in the room. They're kind of they're only brought in for a specific purpose and then kind of like spat out again. The specific purpose being to solve the crime. This is just a recurring theme in my work. I'm interested in what the consequences on on the persona of the person are. If if you are a token, um, I think it has like mental health implications. You know, you see Poirot. In uh, any of David Suchet's performances of Poirot, you can see this. It's often referred to as as OCD kind of tendency of him, like trying to make sure everything's in its right place, being very, very self-conscious of himself. I can really identify with that kind of anxiety um, when the, that I feel when I'm in um, white spaces as as a, as someone who is tokenized often myself.
4: This part of me that. I Yeah, talking about being ashamed of your background—it's kind of like a huge admission, I think, actually. And like, there's absolutely nothing to be ashamed of coming from, you know, a, a low economic background, growing up in poverty. But I've sort of been taught in lots of subtle and complex ways through education and going into sort of the performing arts and the arts in general that it was something that I should suppress about myself. There's a trend now for working class work, I think. And so there's something that I find difficult about capitalising on that identity, for sure. And I think that, obviously, those stories really deserve to be told. I really believe that. Um, But I guess, yeah, there's a question of who's really benefiting from those stories, which is kind of interesting, I think. I don't really know if I have any of the answers, but, uh, yeah, I think it is is ethically difficult because you want it to be... Doing good and not just contributing to kind of the fetishisation of, of working class people, which happens a lot, I think. And yeah, I don't want to just contribute to tokenism
3: Tonight. as well. Hello, David Duckingfield. I'm Rebecca Jones. Tonight. I'm Joanna Goslin. Tonight. I'm Elizabeth I with Nagam and Chetty. Tonight. One of these women with messy handwriting. Tonight. I'll be bringing you all the latest this morning. Whoa. Just four months actually after the most famous Brixton riots, so at a time when a lot of people in the UK wouldn't a, a woman a black woman wouldn't have been welcome in a lot of their homes, Moira Stewart appears on their television as the face of the nation. So uh, these screen prints here are kind of in browns and pinks, so playing a bit with the. Colors of a colonial map and through screen printing as well because I was interested in like the idea of the the addition and obviously Andy Warhol uses that a lot um, to convey ideas of mass media and how a person's presence can become ubiquitous in in society but I was also interested in making all of these actually original works using screen prints which all look like they could be additions, but actually you realise there's all of this original labour that's gone into my creation of each of these individual images, but also Moira Stewart's performance. I was just wanted to explore Moira Stewart's image, revisit that as an image which like reoccurred in our childhood. They're called Good Evening. Okay, <laughs>
0: Persona is also about what you define as authentic.
2: Because everything's performative, there is a, a, a part of it that is playing with character, but then what's authentic and what's not authentic is down to you and your own truth and your own experiences. For me personally, I, I'm not playing a character. I'm making my, my performance work from the past, like... You know, nine years or so, I feel like now I'm at a place where I found peace within myself and within my practice because I don't need to explore any further my identity because I'm very sure of who I am and I feel like everything's authentic and I know who I am and I know what I want, I know what I want to say, I know what I, how I want to look, I know how I want to present myself to the world and be true to myself.
4: There were lots of people in the audience who I didn't realise because I didn't know anyone else like me because yeah. we kind of just blend in. I met a lot of people who came to see the show and sort of realized that that, that by looking at them you wouldn't you wouldn't know where they came from because they were assimilated just like I was assimilated. But yeah, they were sort of affected by the themes in it themselves because they could see themselves in it even like my old drama teacher. Yeah, she was like oh, I'm you know I I had to sort of pretend to be something else in order to get ahead in teaching and yeah, it was it's nice to know that it wasn't just me. Mm. <laughs>
0: Having the freedom to play and experiment with our persona can be an amazing way to learn about ourselves. Yeah. We are free to decide where the performance starts, where it stops, and if he has any limits. Our persona can also be a mask, a mode of survival, or a way of protecting ourselves and our art against the prejudice of society. Persona seems to have has many iterations as Waho has sides to his artistic image. Bob Colacello remembers him as so often being the outsider on the edge, but he also managed to bring people together across all walks of life in a way which hadn't been done before. He was all at once the voyeur, the performance artist, the party-goer, the church-goer, the introvert and the extrovert. What was authentic and what was cultivated will, no doubt, continue to divide opinion. But it's also what continues to fascinate people. As society changes, it shows new light onto Warhol and leads to a more nuanced understanding of him and his artwork. But of course, there will always remain a certain mystery, which I imagine is what he would want. Make sure you listen out for next month's episode, The Art of Comedy, hosted by Reverend Smith. To explore more about The Art of Persona, visit the Andy Warhol exhibition at Tate Modern from 12th of March to 6th of September 2020. The exhibition is in partnership with Bank of America, with additional support from the Andy Warhol exhibition supporters' circle, Tate America's Foundation, Tate International Council, Tate Patrons and Tate Members. It is organized by Tate Modern Museum, Ludwig Cologne, in collaboration with the Art Gallery of Ontario, Toronto, and Dallas Museum of Art. Curated by Gregor Muir and Fintan Moran at Tate Modern, and Yilmaz Jivior and Stéphane Dedric, curator, collection of 20th century art, Museum Ludwig Cologne. The Art of Persona is a Falling Tree production presented by me, Sandra Jean-Pierre, and co-produced with Hannah With music by Kill Her, Sleep Eaters, Black Mania, Scary Things and Sound Design for Opal Foods by Ed Eldridge. Special thanks to Snake Town Records.
1: The Art of...